we are recording, recording in progress with the one and only Brigadier General Dr. Robert S. Spaulding III, a former B-2 Spirit pilot, which is the coolest plane to have ever existed, and author of Stealth War, as well as uh, War Without Rules. Your Twitter's in the description for anybody that doesn't know you, but I doubt anyone in my audience doesn't know who you are. Uh, you were in the National Security Council, and uh, they didn't like you raising alarms about China's domination of the 5G market through their Belt and Road Initiative. And I believe now you have a, a pretty cool company about EMP-hardened communications. So, um, but so I don't butcher it any further. General Spalding, please introduce yourself to everybody. Thank you. It's great to be back. Um, yeah, I spent uh, most of my 30 years in the Air Force flying B-2s, but I had a good opportunity to live in China. Uh, that got me to the White House to work on the national security strategy. And of course, I worked on a, a, a report on 5G that got leaked to the media. I started a, a technology company after I retired from the Air Force, focused on um, secure and survivable communications for the military, but also for you know the American people. So power, water, uh, those things that you uh, we find critical uh, for life. Uh, telecommunications, ability to call first responders to get medical help, to do financial transactions, all the things that might go away if, say, a giant balloon with an EMP device floats over our country and detonates. Um, that's what our that's what our company um, builds, and uh, and we're committed to um, you know supporting not just the American people but any free society that wants uh, the ability to have survivable uh, communications. And you know the the good thing about um, our infrastructure is um, we found that you know your smartphone will survive something like an EMP just fine. It just doesn't have any infrastructure to connect to. So we give it that infrastructure to connect to, to ensure that you always stay connected yes sir and i believe last night for everybody listening today is uh, february 20th i believe last night oakland lost power and uh kind of that's right kind of kind of pressure as well as uh as well as the multiple balloon incursions and i think there was another balloon this morning spotted off the coast of california um is there any more of a symbolic representation of asymmetric warfare and unrestricted warfare than an f-22 shooting down a balloon well, you know, I think what's symbolic is the fact that, you know, this giant balloon, you know, you know, essentially floats over the entirety of our country and just demonstrated demonstrates, you know, what the Chinese Communist Party seek to do, which is essentially show the world that we, we're weak and feckless and that they are on the rise. And, you know, the fact that they can do this is um, is one of the um, really uh, important messages that they tried to uh, portray with this. It, it's no accident that it was coming, you know, right uh, about the time that Blinken was supposed to be in China for a one-on-one -on -one meeting. So, as you can imagine, it was uh, in, in a very important political and psychological message to the world. Um, we took it as an intelligence collection mission, which is, um, you know, certainly part of it, but that was not the main effort or thrust of why they sent that balloon over what they did. Um, what I do like about uh, War Without Rules is that you offer a solution. It's not doom and gloom. And I've often said it, it, it's nothing special to point out what's wrong in your life, right? You can, you can look in the mirror and say, I'm too fat and my bathroom's dirty. Congratulations, you've diagnosed it. And that is the first step. But to actually start taking steps, you have to first identify uh, what you can do. And towards the end of the book, and I don't think uh, people would expect, you know, a, a, a general like yourself to take is to actually 
take $100 billion from the defense budget and put it into, as you said, Eisenhower's butter. The very things, the, the very fire on which the flame of the defense industry can come out of is the historical behemoth the United States is. And it's been that way because we lead technology or have historically led technology, academics, and innovation. Um, could you maybe go into that a little more? Because it's so easy to say, oh, we're just going to go to war with China. And as you pointed out, no, we've been at war with China. But it's not, as you said, it's not flying 6,000 miles in a stealth bomber when they can reach you in your living room. What their core engine is, is what we were 70 years ago, constantly building up the homeland, innovation, giving scholarships to people that want to go pursue something so you don't have a potential genius you know, left on the side flipping burgers when he could be innovating quantum computing. Could you maybe touch on that specifically, what we can do to uh, enhance our survivability against the Chinese? Certainly. The, the, <clears throat> one of the things that people don't recognize about the manufacturing base of a country is that it provides a whole host of advantages that the Chinese Communist Party now seek to take advantage of. Um, one of the things, and one that's not um, often talked about, is just the capacity that it has to generate jobs in communities. And so for each manufacturing job, there's typically four other jobs in the community. So when you lose a manufacturing job, you lose a significant presence within the community because those manufacturing uh, employees are going out and they're using, you know, they're using barber shops, gas stations, stores, you know, convenience stores, the department stores, grocery stores. Um, they're using paint, you know, um, you know, paint stores where, you know, they're using, um, you know, uh, construction supply stores because they're living their lives. And in living their lives, you know, each of these manufacturing employees, you know, is essentially generating um, the need for these services and, and goods that in turn employs other employees within the community. So when you think about when you think about you know, losing tens of thousands of manufacturing um, jobs or millions in the case of the United States when um, when they uh, when we created this economic pact with China and moved our manufacturing to China, it literally destroyed tens of thousands of communities in the United States. So just that piece, the the, the jobs lost is a significant cultural, social, political blow to the confidence of the United States. And what what that means is typically the United States has been um, an, an immigrant society. And typically those immigrants, when they come to the United States, they come, they do so. They're fleeing uh, oppression. They're fleeing tyranny. They're looking for economic opportunity. They're looking for freedom. And uh, they find that economic opportunity or have found it in, in these communities, these small communities where they have manufacturing facilities. So they come and they maybe either serve, you know, working in a manufacturing job or they work in one of the jobs that supports the manufacturing industry. So that ends up being the inspiration of the United States. It's not just the freedom, it's also the economic opportunity. So when you take away the manufacturing base, you take away the inspiration that the United States represents. It no longer, you know, no longer do emerging market citizens of emerging market economies or, or people that, you know, are, um, you know, fleeing tyranny or want to flee tyranny, they don't look, it doesn't look as good to come to the United States anymore because you don't have the economic opportunity. Okay, so that's number one. It's just, 
it destroys the confidence um, in the institutions of the West because it destroys the confidence in the United States to provide economic opportunity for its people. So that's that in and of itself is bad enough. But then what is the manufacturing base represent? What well, men represents the ability for the country to defend itself. So think of things like in World War II, where you know Ford and General Motors are making cars. Then all of a sudden they're making tanks and bombers to support the war effort. If those if those manufacturing facilities don't exist, and you know tens of thousands of other ones like them in various other pieces that support the war material, and instead you're importing Chinese good to support your war effort, then if for, if for some reason that uh, adversary becomes your adversary, how are you going to support the war effort? There's not going to be factories that you can convert from you know making peacetime goods to making wartime goods. It, it, it's, it's just something you can't invent overnight. So it ends up becoming the seed corn for how a nation defends itself. And then finally, innovation. Where does innovation come from? Well, people think that innovation comes from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley come from, came from the Cold War, you know, the space programs, all of the Department of Defense money that was invested to, you know, for the competition with the Soviet Union. But more importantly, innovation comes from the manufacturing process itself. In fact, 70% of innovation comes from the manufacturing process. So think of things like companies like TSMC, which is a chip company. Uh, it is the best chip company in Taiwan or in the world. It is in Taiwan. Now, they have you know, essentially grown their sophistication, their capability over decades of investing in the ability to manufacture chips. So a lot of people design chips. In fact, you know, companies like Qualcomm design chips. But where are those chips manufactured? The ability to manufacture those chips, to get the quality that you're trying to get, to actually be able to put that out as a product takes enormous work in terms of innovation. So 70% of the innovation process comes out of that. When you take that manufacturing capability away, you take away that pathway to most of where innovation comes from. So you know whether it be the, 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 the confidence of, of your society, whether it be the ability to support yourself during a conflict, or the ability to just innovate, we have essentially allowed, you know, through this relationship with China, the decimation of our country in a, a variety of ways. Brilliant answer. Um, in your opinion, because towards the end of the book, you talk about the the general the general feeling put out into the public consciousness of the globe is that China's falling. It's a paper dragon. It's the it, it can't go on forever. The the ghost cities. And that could very well be true. But you also discussed that in their doctrine, this would be an illusion. This would it's old as time is to look weak when you're strong. Um, and then your chapters on multiplication and addition of warfare. Are we and this is pure speculation, but are we seeing an escalation of that with China now? Uh, openly talking about supporting Russia, as well as their continuing economic warfare on us. Their, I would, I would imagine, not just uh, uh, air operations, but their psychological operations. And, you know, are we seeing sabotage at home through our own infrastructure? It might very well just be failing, but um, it seems a little coincidental. Is is this them getting ready to pounce after after being in a springing position for decades? Well, I think um, if you notice after uh, it's re really interesting after the 20th Party Congress 
Um, they relaxed all the zero COVID rules and they went on this charm offensive with the West. So I do think that um, the Chinese Communist Party recognizes that it needs to continue to bleed the West for technology, talent and capital, and that it can't be too harsh with the West uh, because it needs the technology talent and in particular capital. And capital has been racing into China since they relaxed the zero COVID rules to the tune of billions of dollars. So in this capital to continue to come into China, um, at what point will China act on its, um, on its uh, you know, promise to take back Taiwan? I think this is anybody's guess. Um, I believe that uh, that the West was beginning to recognize that China, you know, was doing these things and, and slowly would begin to cut China off. But if you look at even the latest, you know, effort by the Biden administration to engage with China, you see, um, you recognize uh, the United States corporations, United States financial institutions putting pressure on the administration to you know, engage with China for the purpose of reducing the tension so that they can continue to pour technology, talent, and capital into China because they see that as you know, the market going forward. Now, this is the problem. And so you know, where are we in, in, in the whole uh, evolution of China's you know, change from um, you know, essentially saying one thing and doing another? In other words, you know, saying that they're going to be um, you know, great for uh, globalization, but in, in actuality, you know, d helping destroy it, but not being militarily aggressive. How long will that last? Well, I think, you know, it will last just as long as Xi Jinping decides that they are ready to, you know, as, you know, essentially take a significant blow to their economy uh, by the by the cutting off of technology, talent and capital to China, because they know when they invade China, that will end. So there's no more, um, you know, charm offensive that's going to work to, you know, get the West to to voluntarily to continue to allow, you know, our, our financial institutions to invest in China. That's going to be the end of it. And so I think it, they're making an assessment on, I think, on almost a daily basis. Where are we in the timeline for being able to successfully not only take Taiwan, but sustain the economic isolation that's going to come afterwards. And if we can, can if we can, if we can leverage our relationships through the Belt and Road Initiative with those nations, we can get the resources we want. They can be the markets we want. We have the ability to do currency swaps or, or essentially use the renminbi because we're going to be cut off completely from the dollar. If we can do all those things and take Taiwan, then today is the day. And I think that's the assessment. Um, that, that they're making on a near constant basis. We have no insight into understanding when they say, okay, the conditions are right for us to invade Taiwan. But I suspect, just like it was during the Korean War, that when the Chinese move, we're going to be completely caught off guard. It's not going to be like Russia's invasion of Ukraine when you could see it coming for a, for a mile. We just chose not to, um, you know, not to believe that Putin would invade. In their case, I think it's going to come very quickly. We're not going to be ready for it. And overnight, you know, it's going to be a new world because, you know, not only will um, will we have ec uh, economic isolation of China, but it's going to be a severe economic impact to the United States because we'll have lost billions and billions of retirees, mm -hmm. um, you know, retirement funds because they'll have been invested in China and lost when 
when this economic isolation is implemented. So they're 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 stockpiling the bunker because they know once they start and the vault door closes, they they have to have enough to survive. And as you point out, not China, the Communist uh, Chinese Party, the, uh, yeah, the Communist Party of China. It's for them to survive. It's not for their people. It is very different. And as you point out, you have nothing but love for the Chinese people. They are controlled by a tyrannical, uh, psychopathic elite that are looking only to continue their power. It is It is power is the sake of power. So they're going to get very vicious with that. And you, you had a great line in the book where you're like, all right, so the idea is if we let them become a, an open society, welcome them into the global marketplace, that's all the cool kids on the block letting the new weird kid come in. Yeah, all right, once they kind of get in the, they'll, they'll chill out once they get some nice TVs and cars and McDonald's. And then you go, and then everyone starts to realize the new kid's a sociopath. It's, we've, we all knew that kid in like middle school. You have him come hang out and he wants to kill animals. And you're like, this isn't, this isn't good. Is that something that is maybe an, an unforeseen uh, al- and certainly not something to rely on because it's too speculative, but is that something that is in our on our side as the world kind of wakes up to, hey, man, they're insane and they will do anything. It is unrestricted warfare. There is nothing off the table. But we saw them doing with COVID and hiding it and actively perpetuating its spread. Well, fear mongering us. And again, as you said, you know, buy off the researchers to to make a, a, a BS study, have the, the, the bought off media members tout that study and then have bots on social media amplify that creates an echo chamber. Next thing you know, we're all shut down. You're a terrible person who wants to kill grandma if you dare go to work. And they're just going along as business as usual. Is that something that or is it too little too late? Will the world wake up when they're closing the vault doors and they have all the food and guns? Well, you know, every time I think that, you know, this time, you know, the the Chinese Communist Party has gone too far. You know, they float a balloon over the top of the United States, you know, giant surveillance balloon. It's a big F you to America, you know, right over the top of the United States. Okay, this time we're going to wake up. But they have this incredible ability to push and then back off, push and back off. And um, the way that they do it is they push farther and then they back off, not to the point they were, but to a new point that's even, you know, farther than they were before. And so and, and, and you know, the capacity for, you know, Americans and, and the rest of the people in the free world to forget and forgive, I think, is the thing that's astonished me most. I mean, we you know, they're, they're, they keep moving closer and closer and closer and closer and then they back off and they go closer. And we just don't we we, we never um, recognize it. And I think this is a, this is a brilliance, by the way, of the Chinese Communist oh, yeah. Party. And it's a great, great tragedy of the of American society is that unless you're you know punching us in the face, you know, we're we're not going to really respond. And, and I think it's um, it's to our own detriment and. You know, they really have our number. They, they really understand how to manipulate our political system, you know, the American people in ways that we're just not prepared to respond to. So, you know, um, you know, while I do put forth um, recommendations in, at the end of my book, I also have to have to, you know, 
incredibly, um, you know, respect the fact that they could essentially wipe us out without firing a shot just because we're so um, willing to forgive and forget uh, every everything that happens to the point where, you know, and, and now with globalization and the Internet, the ability to influence social, political, economic, cultural behavior uh, at the individual level, you can you can begin to convince people of just about anything. And um, and because we don't recognize that uh, necessarily the same as, you know, in Marines invading our coastline. You know, if Marines invade our coastline, we recognize that as an attack. But we don't recognize, you know, when, you know, our kid comes home from from college and starts spouting, spouting pro, you know, Chinese propaganda or they're watching TikTok videos and they start, you know, valuing things that are completely anathema to, you know, what it means to be an American. We don't see that as a uh, or even fentanyl poisonings. Mm-hmm. None of these are seen as attacks. They're kind of seen as you know, something that um, is just a manifestation of of society. Well, you know, I think that's the problem. We just, they have, they are so effective at what they do. And we are so willing to forgive and forget each and every time. Yeah. I mean, if I started, if I started today just camping out a mile from the White House and then every day move my tent forward 20 feet, and then I move back 10, and then move forward 20 feet and back 10. Eventually, I get up to the fence, and there's a bunch of hubbub, but I go 20 feet past the fence, and then I go, hey, guys, I'm just right back. Tell me how long that works out before I get a 50 cal round through my sternum. That's what they're well, doing. I mean, he goes, goes right up to the fence, but, you know, in, in, this, in that case, you know, it's a much more, um, you know, you know where the, the lines uh, exist. You know, when you're talking about, you know, indoctrinating or influencing our kids, there's real there, there's no fence. You know, there's literally no fence around the Internet. It, it comes right up to your own living room. And so I think, you know, it's a good analogy, except it does. It just doesn't exist in other a- aspects of life. And that's the real beauty of, you know, you know, my book, War Without Rules, because, you know, I talk about, hey, here's what the guy said. Read their own words. This is what's going to allow me. It's going to allow me to basically politically indoctrinate your society, use your own economy against you because you've given us this capability. I mean, it's it's like um, it's like, you know, you've you captured the, the, the Germans enigma machine and you're reading all their messages. You know, it's it's like we have the ability now to control you because of the tools you gave us. And you think that you're going to, you through those tools, you're going to somehow liberate the world. In reality, we're going to use those tools to enslave you. And and that's what they've done. And the analogy is just that, is they figured out how to remove the fence and how to make it not look like a guy walking towards the commander in chief. Because if you did do that, that's exactly what would happen. You would be blown to pieces. But that is what they're doing. And I think, as you said in the, the opening lines of, of Stealth War, is uh, it's a beautiful, elegant game. Like You have to respect them. They are masterful. They're absolutely masterful. It's like there's like some fish I remember learning about in biology in college that it was it, it, this one fish would be able to mate with all the females because it, it was basically like a gay fish. It had like these huge bright colors it wasn't it didn't go out and defend like the the area where they lived it would just hang out with the females all day and then 
no pun intended, slip in. It had the most offspring. And you look at it and you go, well, the fittest fish is clearly the one with the scales and it's big. Yeah, on paper, sure. We're looking at it as, well, we have all the bombers. Fitness is defined by how many offspring do they successfully raise. That one's the most fit. They're the most fit right now. It looks like we are because we're Fortress America, two oceans, two mountain ranges. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I guess this this last question, I know i got to let you run, is it's almost philosophical. Nature has no preference. If they win, are we watching the most fit society? Are we, was democracy a fun experiment? And then do they win? You might say, well, they're evil. Nature doesn't care. Are, is that what we're watching? Are we watching a showdown of which system is the most fit? And that's it's a depressing question. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, when you look at if you if you characterize the uh, um, human history into two um, into two epochs, you know, one prior to the internet, one after the internet, maybe you know our method of you know society was best prior to the internet, and then. Um, you know, maybe they recognize that the Internet gives the ability for a few to control the many. Um, and, you know, they they have, you know, stumbled onto something. I think the Internet changes the world in ways that, um, you know, democracy is not ready for. And, and maybe um, that gives them the leg up. Maybe, you know, then we're going to have to wait for some other uh you know invention um maybe it's ai i don't know but i mean right now they seem to have the the understanding of technology where it's going and how to use that to control their population and to control the narrative around the world so you know yeah maybe maybe the, maybe the internet was the thing that you know uh, caused the world to say okay we're moving from this area of uh, liberal democracy as the the best way to you know orient ourselves and maybe authoritarianism is the future um and you know who knows yeah and like you said maybe there's some other waterfall we're approaching ai or you know Neuralink. you upload your you know you can feel what other people are feeling or see or just i mean it'll be as indes- it'll be as indescribable to us as the internet is to somebody 100 years ago and that might shift it to some other system uh I'll let you go. Very last question, though. Are you kind of jealous of the B twenty one Raider? Do you, do you wish you? Could oh, I am. Of- I mean, <laughs> I, I would love to. I would love to to fly that airplane. You know, when I when I went in, the B two was the new thing. Yeah. So I think every every pilot likes to fly. You know, has has a, 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 an interest to fly the newest and latest thing. And I think the B twenty one is that thing. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, I, I graduated the University of Georgia in 2013, and there is a little jealousy watching him win the championship two years in a row. And I'm like, God, that party looks fun. Just one more weekend. But, yeah, so General Spaulding, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you for your brilliant answers. Uh, unfortunately, you are too smart to run for office. I wish you would, but uh, I think <laughs> you know not to do that. But, I mean, man, I would do anything I could to, to get you in there. Guys, go grab the book, Stealth War and uh, uh, War Without Rules. They're in the description, as well as uh, your Twitter and your website. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for everything you do, and thank you for your brilliant books. Thank you. God bless America, everybody. Stay safe. Recording thank you for watching. Stopped. Peace.